at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello and welcome to episode 176 of the Bronx Beat Podcast presented by Baseball Prospectus. I'm your host, EJ Fagan, and tonight I'm joined by Dr. Paul Semendinger. Hello, EJ. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. I don't have uh, uh, a terrible flu like at least one of our other uh, podcast hosts tonight. Uh, and so uh, at least I'm, I'm, I'm over my flu. I got a Danish flu from somebody who traveled to Denmark. Uh, but uh, I feel sorry for everybody else who's still out, who's still out there, spe- uh, specifically Andy Singer, who uh, could not join us tonight because he is uh, he is very sick. Uh, not sick is the Yankees uh, hot stove, I guess. I don't know. That didn't really make sense. Uh, the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Yankees signed somebody. For the second week in a row, we have actual news to talk about. The Yankees signed Zach Britton to a, a deal that requires a flowchart. Um, Paul, can you explain the flowchart? It's the fr- right now on your blog. Start spraying the news. It's the first article. It's a great big flowchart from a tweet. Um, what is what's going on with this? All right. So uh, yeah, I took uh, some guy Franco who's on Twitter who made this nice chart. The first year, Zach Britton will get paid thirteen million. The second year, Zach Britton will get paid thirteen million. In a sense, it's a two-year deal. But then the Yankees have an option. And so if you follow the flow chart, it says, do the Yankees sign Britain for the fourth year? Which means if they're going to sign him after two, they've got him for two more. And then if the answer is yes, they pay him $13 million in year three and $14 million in year four. But if the Yankees decline the two-year option, Britain can then opt out. If he opts out <laughs> after the second year, he's a free agent. If he does not opt out, then he is a Yankee in year three for that same thirteen million, and then he becomes a free agent in year four. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is a two-year deal that turns into either a two-year club option for the Yankees, or Britain gets to decide if he wants to be a free agent immediately or after one more year. Correct. It seems to me like that the two probable outcomes here are that the Yankees he he's either awesome and the Yankees exercise. Uh, the the two year contract, uh, he becomes a Yankee for four years, or he uh, is bad and gets paid for one more year. Um, so I'm in my head calling this a three a three year thirty nine million dollar deal. Is that is that appropriate? I think that's very appropriate. I think that's the way it's going to go. Yeah. So three years, thirty nine million dollars. Do you think this is a good deal for the New York Yankees? Uh, I do argue against some logic and against many stats that I do like the deal. Okay. So why do you like the deal? What, what, why, what's the best case for Zach Britton? Well, the best case is Zach Britton becomes Zach Britton. He's healthy. Um, I have also, I'm not a professional athlete, of course, but I've also suffered from a torn Achilles. 
uh, and it can debilitate you. It's uh, it's tough to play even when you think you're recovered. And I think I'm recovered. And uh, even even now, a year and a half later, it still hurts me. And I run marathons and all that. It's a it's a brutal injury that just saps you of your ability to do stuff. Now, if he's healthy. Um, he should he should be able to come back and be a much better pitcher than he was in recent years, and maybe most like the pitcher he was at the end of last year, when he was actually doing pretty well. I mean, yeah, and let me, let me I'll even I'll before I make before I get all negative. Anybody who's following me on Twitter knows what I'm about to say. Um, Zach Britton at his best. So from the 2015 season through maybe the 2014 season through the 2017, maybe 16 seasons. So three to three to three and a half seasons, something like that, was the closest thing to Mariano Rivera that we've seen since Mariano Rivera retired. A one-pitch guy with a dominating sinker instead of a cutter uh, who could just make batters look stupid, right? That, that's what he was good at. He was always outperforming his field of independent pitching results. He, he put up an ERA over that stretch below 1.5 right just mm-hmm. was just absolutely dominant and so under the best case scenario you're getting some slightly declined version of that player and that's that is that peak is clearly why he got this contract that peak is why the Yankees traded for him um he injured his Achilles in 2017 as you've noted he struggled to get over that um in the end last season in 2018 he put up 40 and two-thirds innings with 3.1 ERA worst FIP numbers uh, slightly better numbers with the Yankees, slightly better numbers in September. So that's that's your best case scenario. Now, what are you expecting out of Zach Britton? Well, also, uh, just, just to keep in mind, a couple of the reasons that I liked the deal is he's a lefty. The Yankees do not have any lefties other than Aroldis Chapman. And uh, maybe, maybe, if he's good enough and ready, Stephen Tarpley. So they did need a lefty down there. And... Uh, He's not old yet. He's 32. So I, I do have hopes that he's still um, holding on to at least the uh, back 31. ends of his prime year. Oh, 31. Okay. He's 31. He's my age. And and just as a note, like my bones aren't getting better at 31. So, you know, even though that the, the Achilles might be the cause of his decline, I mean, he's he is still aging. That's Yes, but but 31 isn't isn't over the hill yet for a for a pitcher. And we saw Mariano Rivera who you compared him to, a one-pitch guy. Um who pitched well past uh, 31. So so there is opportunity and there is reason to be optimistic. Okay. Um, so one alternative would have been David Robertson. Yes. He signed a bad day earlier. signed with the Phillies. He signed a smaller deal. I forget what it was, but it was like a, it was a two-year deal, I believe. Yes. Um, and the Yankees probably could have signed him to that same deal. Given the choice between the Britain deal and the David Robertson deal, which deal would you take? Again, this defies all logic and it defies statistics. And Andy, I wish you were with us today because he wrote a great article about this where he argues how much better uh, David Robertson is. Um, But if you had to take the pick between the two, Britain is two years younger, three years younger. Um, And he's a lefty. Uh, and I like his upside better. I love David Robertson. He was a great Yankee now twice, and I would have loved to have him back. But sometimes, and I know we're not allowed to just judge things by the eye test, and we have to look at all these numbers, and we do, but there was just something about D-Rob last year, especially as the year went on, that he seemed to have less precision, 
He seemed to be less effective. I saw him giving up home runs in situations where I just never saw him give up home runs before. And the eye test, which is usually fallible and very fallible, told me that he's just not the same guy. And that could be, especially at 34. Yeah, I mean, I think he's clearly he's clearly lost a lot of his, his skills. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't think it's unreasonable for somebody to say, I want that David Robertson, especially in the two-year deal, um, who was arguably more effective last year than than Zach Britton? I think it was more absolutely. Effective last year than and, Zach and again, that's what you're arguing, and that's what Andy's argued. Oh, I'm not but, arguing that. I'm, oh, I'm away from my argument. It's coming. Oh, okay. <laughs> but Robertson definitely was the better pitcher last year and the year before, and I think the year before even. <laughs> as far as I can tell from the Twitter reactions, there's kind of three positions, right? The positions are, you know, you could either either Zach Britton is essentially the best available pitcher. On the, on the market right now, maybe Adam Bonifino is better, but he, he's up there. Zach Brain is a very, very good pitcher who has recovered from his injury, and we can expect big things out of him next year. The kind of the lesser version of this, that, that's like the U version. The Andy version is essentially he's a good pitcher, he should be effective, and but I'd rather have David Robertson. I think, you know, that, that is, that, that's a position we're not going to talk about too much today, but that, that's a possibility. And then there's my position, and here is my position. I wrote, I wrote this um, immediately after I learned of the signing. Um, quote, the Zach Burton deal is the dumbest thing the Yankees have done in years. And I stand by this. <laughs> um, I would rather have nobody than Zach Burton for a couple of reasons. One is I don't think Zach Burton is very good. I'm going to get back to that. I, I think he last year was worse than he has been ever. I think he is declining, and I don't think there's a good chance that he gets better. Rather, at least, I don't think we've seen any statistical evidence that he will get he – has, he has recovered or he is better or he is a good pitcher, major league relief pitcher anymore. Um, I, I will – I'm going to caveat this by saying the Yankees might know more than I do. They might have non-statistical evidence or finer grain statistical evidence than is available in the public, but – as far as the record that I can observe, did not get better last year, and he's overrated. Now, the the second part of this, the second reason why I think he's particularly dangerous, forget the contract terms, which if I think he's not any good, the contract terms are terrible, is that he's got a, he's got the proven closer reputation, mm-hmm. and that is so dangerous for a pitcher. Because the Yankees last year, I don't think, I mean, they gave him some saves in September, but for the most part, they didn't seem willing to, to trust him like they trusted Chad Green, Dylan Patances, or Aldis Chapman. Like, not even close. David Robertson. All of those guys got more important innings in the playoffs. I think Britton was the first guy to come out of the bullpen uh, for a couple of key games in, 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 in October. I thought that was a mistake at the time. I complained about it on this podcast. Um, and, he, and he was bad. He was bad in the playoffs. He was bad in this last couple of games of September. But he was overall, he was overall better in September. So they gave him those those um, those uh, the, the, those innings. He didn't blow any saves. It's great. Um, I'm afraid that the Yankees, by his reputation, will feel obligated or will fool themselves into thinking that he's better than he is, which means he'll get higher leverage innings than he deserves. Which means that you know Jonathan Holder, who I think is a better pitcher than 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 he is than. Um, than Britain is right now, won't get those innings, and the Yankees will suffer. Um, I don't think the lefty thing matters that much because he's got a reverse platoon split, as you would expect from a sinker pitcher. And so, you know, I, I, I don't – like, I get that he's a lefty, and it's great the Yankees do need somebody to go after lefties because Chapman's not going to be that guy. But the Yankees, he's not good against lefties. So 
you don't really have that that option. That's true. That's fair. And I think okay. D Rob, uh, do you have his numbers in front of you? He might have uh, also had a reverse. I'm not sure. He might have. The Yankees were using him so, sort of in that role by the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, you know, the, the D Rob had like was conceivably was a guy who you know at least you know you're comfortable going to against a tough lefty in the late innings. I think you're comfortable with Chad Green against a tough lefty, Dylan Patanzas, or else Chapman, obviously. Um, so I don't think the Yankees the Yankees need if the Yankees need some like a t- someone to go after a tough lefty in the fifth or sixth inning I'm fine taking a shot on a Stephen Tarbley or somebody like that to try to develop that player. Um, third reason why I don't think Zach Britton is a good signing is that he he constrains the roster long term. Um, I think the the what Major League Baseball has seen has shown recently is that some of the most dominant relief pitchers in baseball are people who have been brought up as failed starters convert to the bullpen and all, all of a sudden are throwing 97. But most of those guys aren't very good. Like most of the guys at AAA are not going to become ace relievers. But every once in a while, you just find a Chad Green, and that Chad Green is is that player. And I think that every every contract that you can't send up and down from AAA or you can't cut if you don't think they're very good or whatever, or God forbid you can't trade if they're really bad, every one of those contracts turns into one fewer opportunity to go find that next Chad Green. Um, I would rather the Yankees give that spot, the fifth or sixth spot in the bullpen, to you know, to to somebody who they can they can try to find that player, Domingo Acevedo or someone like that, um, who could turn into a really a real ace reliever. I don't know who that player is yet. There's a lot of candidates in the Yankees you know, in the high Yankee farm system. Um, it could be Jonathan Eliza It could be could be Stephen Tarpley. Like there there, there are plenty of options out there. Um, I would rather the Yankees go in search of that than give it to a guy who I don't think it's very good and a guaranteed relief spot for at least, I think, three years, maybe two, probably three years, um, if the Yankees aren't, um, uh, if, you know, if, if he isn't that good. Can, can um, you make the argument that Chapman can opt out at the end of the season and Patances is a free agent at the end of this season? And if... Um, Britain is his old self. The Yankees still have a closer um, rather than taking a chance on somebody unproven. Granted, and I, I've seen people analyzing the, the free agent market the year after that it wasn't very good. So mm-hmm. if the idea is Britain is, a, is an insurance policy and maybe he's not very good, but you know maybe he is good and therefore you have the insurance policy, I guess maybe I can take that argument. I still think that I'd rather have like an Adam Adovino or David Robertson or you know you, you can find a relief like I I'm, I don't accept that the Yankees can't find a closer if need be, um, and they could pay for a Patances or, or Chapman at that point. Um, and I hope they do. We you know I think we both agree that we want the Yankees to be spending money. Yeah, and and uh, that's like I guess I guess that's the fourth problem I have with it, with this is that I don't know if this impacts a potential Manny Machado signing. Um, it certainly feels like it could. I mean, forty million dollars. Yeah, you know, if you could add forty million dollars to whatever offer the Yankees are willing to give Machado, there's a pretty good chance that that could persuade him to come to the Yankees instead of going somewhere else. And I don't know where what what the ballpark offers are right now in Machado, but forty million dollars is you know it's not chump change. It's not this is not the Troy Tulowitzki deal. Correct. Can we argue that the Yankees have been financially um, reluctant to spend over the last number of years? And with their unwillingness to spend money, the fact that they didn't go for the guy with the better numbers and the shorter duration of a contract, which would be D-Rob, and they went for the guy with a longer contract 
at a higher cost, which would be Britain, that the Yankees have a reason for saying we'd rather spend that money on Britain than uh, Robertson. Maybe. Um, here, so if, if the premise is Britain got his old stuff back and therefore he's going to be really good again, I can buy it. I mm-hmm. really can. I, I think that if, if the Yankees believe that, if, like, if the very good Yankee scouts went to Brian Cashman and said, like, Britain's good again, like, go get him, even if you have to pay a ton of money for him, like, I will accept that. I have an alternate theory, and that alternate theory is that there's been some pressure on ownership to get, by ownership to get better. Maybe that includes going and getting Manny Machado, uh, but in the meantime, uh, they, they wanted to go out and get a big name, and that big name is Zach Britton. And so I wouldn't be shocked if not that long from now we, we find out, like we found out in a whole lot of other deals, that this was actually a different part of the Yankee front office pushing for it. Like, I, I think that, I honestly think that's the most likely explanation at this point. Because one, I'm going to go through the numbers in a second, and I think that statistically Zach Britton is bad. Not even like, not, not even like only above average. I think he's actually bad right now. And I am concerned about that. Um, now, the, there's a couple of arguments that people are making on Twitter, including some people I respect, including um, Jim from our podcast. Um, uh, in fact, I got quite a lot of response, but I'm, I'm going to read just, uh, you know, just Jim's. So Jim's argument in some was that Britain got better in September. He's got a lot of talent. The Yankees um, might have actually gotten a real steal out of, out, out of this um, because of that. And I don't think the numbers back up that he actually got better in September. So if you look at our Twitter, at BronxBPP, I posted a couple of things. One thing I do is I posted a graph of Zach Britton's fastball velocity, uh, field independence pitching numbers, and DRA. Um, fastball velocity, Britton at his peak in, 2000, in 2016 uh, was throwing you know somewhere averaging about 97 miles an hour, peaking near about 99 or so, um, and you know maintain that throughout the year. He was at that point in April when he came back in 2017. Then he injures his Achilles. I forget what his injury was in April, but whatever the major injury was in April, uh, knocks him down to about, um, instead of being at about 98, knocks him down to about 97. He goes, he leaves, he comes back midseason in 2018. He's down to about 94. He gets traded to the Yankees. He gets up to about 96. So this guy, is his, his fastball has declined by about two to three miles per hour off of his peak. And even in September, when he was looking a lot better, his fastball velocity did not return there. In fact, it actually went down a little bit off of the midsummer peak. So he's not throwing hard again. He's throwing like hard-ish for a modern reliever. Like he's throwing a more a faster than the average left-handed reliever, but he's not throwing this killer 98 mile an hour sinker that made him an amazing player. Um, maybe that's like a sinker maybe has more movement when you throw it a little bit slower. So Mariano Rivera kind of had that feedback loop for the better part of his career. So he started to throw a little bit lighter, the cutter cut more, became harder to hit. And so he pretty much maintained that same level until his last season. Um, but I'm not sure I buy it with Zach Britton. It's also hard to kind of hope that somebody's like Mariano Rivera. That is correct. That's a, that's a very fair player. point because yeah. Mariano is one of a kind. Yeah, he's an outlier, right? Like, you don't bet on the outlier. Mm-hmm. Then I took a look at, look at his field independent, independent pitching score. So right now I have a 15-day rolling average of his, of his FIP. Uh, his FIP um, was uh, really, really good in 2016. Got a little bit worse as the season went on. His FIP has always been about a run and a half higher than his actual ERA. That makes sense. He's an extreme ground ball pitcher. He gets some of the weakest contact in the game. Like a CC Sabathia, you would expect him to outperform his FIP. Um, so his FIP, Really, really good in 2016. It was about uh, it was like 2.1 on the season. XFIP was about the same. Um, 
2017 comes around and he's got a big he, he jumps up big right so this is when his performance starts to go down and all of a sudden he turns into about a 3.3 3.5 FIP player right so you, you get this big you get this big jump up in 2017 there's an injury related there he gets injured he, he bursts his Achilles at the end of the season and then uh, he tears his Achilles not burst wow um, and then in 2018 he comes back he's really really bad when he first comes back and then he gets traded to the Yankees. He's bad for a little bit, and he starts to recover. And you kind of see this line pointed downward. And that line pointed downward was September. And in September, a lot of people observed that, hey, Zach Britton looks like he's back. He looks like he's really good. Even during September, even during that 15-game rolling average, which included all of September, he he had a just below 4.0 xFIP and well above 4, slightly above 4 FIP. What that means is that even when he recovered, even when he was his really as really good point in September, he was still at best an average American League pitcher in September by our FIP numbers. Even if you knock off a run a run to a run and a half from his like four point one to you know what three point you know three you know, whatever two point seven three, you know three something like that. Even during his best month, he was barely. Uh, uh, you know, a, uh, an, not even an elite. He was he was an above average relief pitcher. He was a good relief pitcher. He wasn't a great relief pitcher. Um, his DRA statistics. So we talked about this a few podcasts ago, which is kind of like like a super FIP. It's a FIP that is um, that that baseball prospectus has put together using historical data, using things like the defense behind him, using the catcher, using all sorts of stuff that kind of like puts FIP on steroids. 2015, 2.86. 2016, 3.21. Both of those were about a run and a half better than his ERA, or worse than his ERA, right? So he's going to have a bit of an ERA premium because he's, he's Zach Britton. 2017, bumps up to 5.91, right? That's a pro- projecting a 5.91 ERA from Britton during that year. Maybe a little better because, again, he's, he's Zach Britton. 2018, 7. <laughs> a DRS of 7. There's no way to reconcile that as... Uh, a gap between a, a true talent gap between his FIP and his 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 defense independent numbers and his performance. Like DRA thinks that Zach Britton was bad last year, not just like not good, but like was one of the worst pitchers in baseball last year. And frankly, I think it's pretty easy to see. He's walking the ballpark when he used to never walk anybody. He's not striking people out, and he's he's just getting a lot of ground balls. And, you know, there's a lot of players out there. Like, there's a lot of Paul Quantrill's out there who can get those ground balls but allow a lot of runs because ground balls get through. And if that's the case, if he's that bad, the Yankees just committed to one of the worst relief pitchers in baseball for three years. Well, and and, uh, to further your point, um, I'm going to argue against myself. The Yankees did hire him, uh, sign him to be uh, a high-leverage pitcher. And he is an extreme ground ball pitcher, and the Yankees' infield defense is uh, <laughs> not good. <laughs> yeah, problematic to say the best. For unless there's a Manny Machado signing, which could change things. Well, that that is correct. But as it currently stands, uh, and Duhar is questionable. Tulowitzki is questionable. I think he's pretty good. Uh, well, he is pretty good. But again, you want to talk about a guy who hasn't played in a long time. He he's True. coming yeah. back, and, and again, <laughs> we have he's no idea really what he's going to be like. Yeah. That's correct. We're saying we hope he's Tulowitzki, you know, in 2006, but that was a long time ago. Um, um, uh, Glaber Torres is learning, and at first base you have either Luke, Luke Voigt. Voigt or Greg Bird, and neither one of them have ever impressed anybody with their gloves. So 
that that's a big risk. Again, I'm going to still stand by my fact, in spite of all logic, that I'm 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 optimistic about it. But I think there's a good argument to say that it's not really the smartest thing to do to bring in a ground ball pitcher in front of that infield defense. I mean, if your plan is to sign Machado, I think it gets a little better. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there's a world where Machado, Tulowitzki, slash Didi, plus Glaber Torres is, like, a really good defensive infield. That is correct. There's also a world where M- Miguel Andujar at third, not improved Glaber Torres and injured Troy Tulowitzki is the worst infield the Yankees have seen since, like, 2005. Mm-hmm. Since Alfonso Soriano was on the team. So not even 2005, 2003. Um... Yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm concerned. I, I'm. I'm very, very concerned at the moment. Um, I think that the. I hope that the Yankees have some information that I don't. And generally speaking, I trust the Yankees to make smart front office decisions. But even smart teams can make really dumb decisions, and I suspect that's what they did. Could be. Now, now, just uh, for fun, while you were talking, I did pull up his career platoon splits. And for his career, he is better against left-handers. Okay, that's good. That's good. It's just in recent years he hasn't been, but but for his career he is. Yeah, and you know, look if he if he is like if he is Zach Britton, like he'll be good against everybody. Mm. Um, so like, I'm like I'm I'm less concerned about about that if if he becomes good again. Like I think he'll be useful if he's useful. I just think that there's a pretty good probability that he's not useful. That that he's he's the player that. Like you want to be on the DL for the rest of the season, uh, is it Chico Bellsbury? Another maybe the last dumb signing the Yankees made. That was a dumb signing. That was a very dumb signing. Um, uh, actually, I'm at some point going to go back and figure out what was the dumbest signing uh, since since this one. At least my official position there. Look, it's not my money. If the, if the Steinbergs are going to spend all of the money and go out and give Manny Machado a three hundred million, three hundred fifty million dollar deal. Whatever. Like I'm, I'm not going to complain that the Yankees, that the that the players are getting money. Players should get money. But if this is a real constraint or an actual budget constraint on the New York Yankees for the next three years, I think this is a terrible signing. And I, I, I again, relief pitching. I think has goes through these like boom and bust cycles where we really, really love relief pitching, and then we go like, oh, no, 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 relief pitching is replaceable. We're not going to pay for it. And then, you know, a couple of teams demonstrate that, like, a dominant bullpen is really important. So we really, really love relief pitching again. And I, I think that the the um, uh, the fickleness of relief pitching, of the actual relief pitchers, like, doesn't it, we don't we have a, we have a short memory for this like we think that we can predict who are going to be these amazing relief pitchers long in advance and in practice there are not that many relief pitchers who are consistent year to year in the major leagues Britain was that guy for three years which is great like he was he was legitimate for those three years that wasn't luck but like that's the that's the typical story with relief pitching like that they they are they they flame out very quickly in part because they're working in small samples. Um, and in part because you're, you know, they're, they're, it's a hard job and they throw out their arms and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's true. And again, when we talk about Mariano Rivera, that's one of the reasons why he was great because nobody except him ever sustained that level of excellence for as long as he had year after year, which he defied all logic by doing that. So your, your points there are also uh, valid. And, Do you think and he gets 100%? Sense. Say again? Do you think Rivera gets 100%? Oh, you know, I hope so, but I just always feel there's somebody out there that always wants to be the guy who didn't vote for him and say, you know, now he gets his 20 minutes of fame or whatever. 
I, I'm encouraged that there isn't any, there hasn't been any like dumb, like dumb real arguments, meaning like people actually arguing something dumb. Um, th- no one's actually tried to make the case that Rivera is not a Hall of Famer. Like it's just been like a no duh for everybody. So it Correct. looks like he's going to, you know, if the only, the only people he has to worry about, unless there's some like real anti relief pitcher people kind of lurking in the hidden ballots, is the, the person who wants Babe Ruth to be the only, whatever, the only um, unanimous Hall of Famer. And and you know what there are those people, but maybe those days are over. And it would be nice if if uh, if he was if if he did it, that would be awesome. Could uh, happen to a better person. Correct. Let me let me just go back to the um, Yankees spending idea. Right now, I believe with Sonny Gray still on the roster, Zach Britton puts them over the first luxury tax. If that's the case, and if it stays that way, I, I think like you're doing that, an argument could be made that the Yankees are finally realizing that they are the Yankees and they have money to burn. And there have been a slew of articles on my site, uh, but, but also on uh, Pinstripe Alley and on River Ave Blues that demonstrate very clearly that the Yankees have money to spend. Um, and they're not paying anything near what other teams are paying in percentage to revenues so that they can easily afford a lot of these big-time players. They can afford Machado and Harper, and they could have uh, afforded Corbin. Um, If the Yankees are dealing with a strict budget, then the deal hurts, I agree, a lot more than it could. If they're the Yankees, like the Yankees used to be, and they're willing to start to spend money, and they're going to say, we're going to put the best team on the field, and we're not going to worry as much about this austerity plan— you know, in the olden days, if the Yankees got a great guy or a guy they thought was going to be great and he wasn't great, they just ate the contract and went out and got the next guy. <laughs> so if, if those days are back, then, then it's less of a problem if Zach Britton isn't Zach Britton. And there is a sense that I have that I'm at least trying to be in, uh, encouraged by the fact that at least for the moment, they're over the luxury tax, which means it seems like maybe they're willing to start to spend their money. And, um, you know... Uh, Brian Cashman did say something like, "We're going to operate like the Death Star." So, is, <laughs> our, our, our Death Star is fully locked and loaded, or something, yeah, like, something that. like that. Like, all right, we'll do it. Let's go. Hey, Get them hey, both. I, <laughs> I wish they didn't play the Rebel Alliance song when they, when everybody lined up in the stadium. Like, give me the Empire song. Give me the Imperial March. Mm-hmm. Let's just let's just lean into it. These are the Yankees. Let's blow some stuff up. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, so I, I've got the chart here, which I, I, I tweeted out uh, not long ago or retweeted. Um, of Yankee revenue and payroll over time. So since about 2004, maybe 2005, the Yankee payroll has been flat, right? So it's hovered between 180 million in 2003 and 244 million in, in 2016 as the, as the peak was down to 191 last year. At the moment, I think they're at about 185, assuming they shed Sonny Gray's deal and arbitration kind of goes as expected. So, um, you know, the Yankees are... Um, you know, they're spending a lot of money, but they're not they're they're not going to be top five in baseball with one hundred eighty five million dollars payroll. So they're no longer even close to that. And and with inflation, they they're spending less than they did a very long time ago. Now, how much money are they making in two thousand five? Right when they spent two hundred seven million dollars in payroll, they had a two hundred seventy seven million dollar revenue that that we know of. I suspect the Yankees have more revenue than that. Um, because there's all sorts of weird revenue streams that they have. But at the time, they said $277 million. Last season, the last season that we have data, 2017, the Yankees made $619 million. Uh, and that would go up even higher with a longer playoff run. The Yankees are swimming in money, and it is being pocketed by ownership 
not spent on the field. And that is ridiculous. I don't go to a lot of games because I don't live in Yankee, uh, near Yankee Stadium. But if I did live near Yankee Stadium, I would not be okay paying the ticket prices they want for the team that they're putting on the field. They are, they are raising, they're raising revenue without raising payroll. And it's not even close, right? They've tripled revenue and they've payroll has stayed flat. That's correct. And, and uh, I've argued this point, um, it, and, and forgive, forgive me as I try to make this make sense, just saying it off the top of my head, but the Yankees have sort of made this unwritten agreement with their fans based upon their history and based upon the way they market the team that we're the Yankees. And, and as we watch the season, we're going to see all sorts of stories about how the Yankees got Catfish Hunter and how the Yankees got Reggie Jackson. They, Reggie was going to be a Yankee no matter what. And Winfield and and the Yankees got Roger Clemens because they were going to get the best players. And Jason Giambi came to the Yankees and Mike Mussina. And, and they sell us on this, that we are going to go out and we're going to get the best players. And that's what we do. We're the Yankees. And, and it, that's sort of what brings and brought a lot of people into the fold to be Yankee fans. This idea that this team wants to be the best. And that's sort of the unwritten or written or unwritten arrangement that fans have with the team. And so when they're not spending and they're being austere, is that the word? Um, it's sort of like they're not agreeing to their half of the bargain. We're agreeing to pay more money for parking, to pay more money to travel in, to pay more money for tickets, to pay more money for concessions, which really aren't all that great. With the understanding that the Yankees are taking that money and making the best product back on the field um, for us to enjoy. And I think Buck Showalter said it. He said, um, Yankee fans don't go to watch baseball. They go to watch the Yankees win. That's what they want to do. They don't care about anything else. And and the point is that the Yankees then, if that's the arrangement, have this um, obligation, if you will, to get those players and put them on the field because that's the arrangement they have with the fans. Does that make sense? And look, I don't think the Yankees have an obligation to just dump money down the drain. No, right? but like, when great players are available, they should be going after exactly, them. Exactly. Like Manny Machado is the best free agent that will be available to the Yankees for the foreseeable future. So like by the time, say, like Jacoby Ellsbury's contract is off the books, there will not be a better free agent available to sign with the money the Yankees have than Manny Machado. I'd argue that that's why they should sign both Harper and Machado, but you know, I'll settle for just one of them. I agree. Because I, I don't think the Yankees should go out there and, for example, I don't think they should triple their payroll just because their revenues have tripled. I agree. That would be bad for, that'd be bad for baseball, and baseball will put a stop to that pretty quickly. Um, and I get the whole like one-year luxury tax thing. Like There was an incentive to dip below the luxury tax for one year. But what I feel like the Steinbergs are doing is they're looking at Aaron Judge and looking at Gary Sanchez and Luis Severino and all those guys and going like, man, they're mighty cheap. And, and you know, we, could, we, could, we could run them out there for very little money and just pocket it. And that's, that's not how you're going to be competitive against the Red Sox. That's not how you're going to put the best product on the field. That's not the Yankee. That's not the Death Star. Like, the Death Star that's, is that's not the Yankee way. Right. Right. The, the Death Star is combining the smartest front office in baseball, which they already have, which doesn't cost them that much money, with money, with overwhelming financial resources. They should be the highest payroll team in baseball by far. They should at least be like up there. Like the Red Sox spent $240 million, $50 million more than the Red the Yankees did last year. The Yankees had added $50 million worth of players. At some point in the last couple of years, they would have won the division last year, which means they wouldn't have been in the wild card game, which means that maybe they would have advanced the, uh, 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 the ALDS. 
if the Yankees go out and they get Manny Machado and they add seven wins to their team and that allows them to move Miguel Andujar off a terrible position or trading for pitching or whatever, like by by doing that, you you create a super team, a team I really want to watch. And those 90s teams had great, well-developed Hall of Fame young players, but they also had like mercenaries because that's what we do. We get the mercenary. We had Roger Clemens and David Wells and David Cohn and all sorts of other, and, and eventually Mike Messina and Jason Giambi and those guys and all sorts of other high-priced guys that we want to go out there and, and watch play. And I, I hate being I hate being the spoiled Yankees fan. Like I feel bad, Reds fans. I don't think you're, no one, no Reds fans are listening to this podcast. No, there's three. But like, yeah, it, John, I'm sorry. Like I'm real. Like I, like I feel bad for you, but you know this is the Yankees. This is what they do. And if you're going to if you're going to cheap out on the uh, on the field, you're going to have trouble keeping my attention and getting me to pay you money. And, and that's that's the point I'm trying to make. You said it more articulately than I could, but that's sort of the arrangement. Like you're the Yankees. Be the Yankees. Get the star players. I don't want to see them spend fifty billion dollars on Mike Mustakis. That doesn't excite me. But Bryce Harper. Watch Craig Kimbrell's coming. Oh yeah, right. Um, That doesn't excite me. Yeah, I think um, I don't want to prejudge the Yankees. Like the the offseason isn't over. Manny Mm -hmm. Machado is not signed with anybody. We're hearing like like you know reports, second or third hand reports that the Yankees aren't willing to go you know above the two hundred millions of dollars range for Machado, which I'm a little skeptical of those reports. Like like Machado is clearly waiting for something at the at this time. Like it's starting to get kind of late into the offseason. And maybe he's waiting for Harper to sign and, and whoever, you know, was planning to sign Harper would then have like their plan B being Machado. So he gets another bidder. I don't know what what like this like game of chicken is for. I hope it's for the Yankees to finally be like, OK, here's three hundred fifty million dollars. Please come to New York because I think Manny Machado wants to play in New York. It seems that way. And let's let him. All right, Paul, <laughs> we're going long. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, everybody else. Uh, if you have, if you, if uh, if you haven't caught it, my other podcast, The Policy Agenda, where I get extremely nerdy about politics, talking with political scientists, had its third episode go up today. It's a great episode. We talk about the Congressional Black Caucus with an, an amazing expert on the Congressional Black Caucus. I learned a lot. I think it's a great episode. Uh, it's called The Policy Agenda. You can also follow me on Twitter at EJ Fagan, and you'll see tweets about it. Uh, everybody have a great night. Hopefully we'll have an emergency podcast. I keep, I keep hoping for it on the air. Hasn't happened yet. Uh, if not, we'll be back next week with another episode of the Bronx Beat Podcast. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.